Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in, uh, you don't remember that? Sycamore tree, or the Lord he wanted to see. Everybody's looking at me like I'm nuts. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in a tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Don't look at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> I mean, that's a song I learned when I was young, and some of you apparently learned it too. And uh, for those of you that haven't learned it, it's a story that you heard read, and it's a story that's told in children's Bibles, and it's a story about this small man named Zacchaeus, but it's not the full story. In fact, I think the story can be kind of misleading in a way, and you're like, wait a minute, it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible, but the, 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 the thought behind that story is kind of, in the song is kind of misleading, that Zacchaeus is just this wee little man, you know, he's kind of like Simon Birch, and he's just this really great guy, and that's not Zacchaeus. That's not who he is. And he's a completely different guy. And if you get that picture of Zacchaeus being this sweet little wee man, then you've got it like this wrong picture of who he is and really a wrong picture of that story. And, and so we really want to kind of break through some of those barriers, those misconceptions we have, and how we can be fooled by, uh, I would say, fakes and, and knockoffs. And we could do that easily, right? It happens to us all the time. We, we, we see knockoffs in our culture, you know. It's not Tim Hottens, it's Tim Hortons, right? And you don't buy your clothes at Dolce & Banana, but you'd buy them at Dolce & Cabana, right? And you guys spot the fake here? It's all-star converse, right? Jack Taylor, all-star converse, so it's a knockoff. And this one's like sacrilegious because you don't mess with that one. And so, uh, and then finally, this last one, you know, Got my pair of Abibas on, right? <laughs> Some of them are harder to see, and it's easier to kind of, oh, yeah, it's a great-looking pair of shoes. Or, you know, they say in Europe, Adidas. That's how it's pronounced there. But there are knockoffs everywhere, you know, where you, you sort of get something, but it's not quite the original, it's not quite the right thing. And we see the same thing, actually, in Christianity. You know, I would say that, you know, take, for example, generosity. Generosity is one of the easiest things to fake, and I would say it's one of the hardest things to truly live as the Bible tells us to live. And so what we want to do for these four weeks is actually spend four weeks looking at what it means to be generous. You heard Erica said, in all facets of generosity, you know, not just in our giving, but in the time that we, we give to others and our attention that we give to others, not just being around them, but actually being present and being there for people and making ourselves available for people, and also hospitality, where we actually open up our homes and invite people in and are generous with everything. That's the picture that Scripture gives us. That's the picture that Jesus gives us. But we can fake it. In fact, Jesus had a stern warning in his day against those that were trying to fake Christianity. He said, be careful to do your, not to do your good acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, they will have, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that when you're giving, so that your giving may be in secret, 
then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is speaking against the Pharisees and the hypocrites that are, you know, there would be these large trumpets where they would drop money into and it would make this large sound and they would go and buy the smallest denomination and they would drop it in and it would just announce to everybody all the generosity that was being poured out that day. And he says, no, the only reason they're doing that is so that you see them and say, wow, they're really generous. Wow, they're amazing. Wow, they're really righteous. That's what Jesus is talking about. But some people have taken this text and said, well, you need to do it in secret. We shouldn't talk about money. Money's a personal matter, and we don't talk about it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, don't, don't give, and don't do, not just giving, but don't do acts of service. Don't just do what you do so others think you're good. No, no, no. See, God sees your heart. That's what Jesus is seeing is the heart. And that's what he's concerned with. Not how much we give or how much time we serve or how many people we have into our homes or how much time I give to other, other people. No, he's looking at your heart and saying, what's the condition of your heart? Is your generosity a, a product of your heart or is it a product of your pride? And so this morning we want to turn to God's word, to that story we read in Zacchaeus, because I think we see a great example of generosity in that story that we can learn from this morning. Before we get there, uh, I'd ask if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather in the name of Jesus, in the one true God, not the imitation God, but the true God, the Son of God, the one who came to earth and gave his life, the one who sacrificed everything for us, it's in his name that we gather here this morning. Heeding your call, we come humbly asking you to teach us. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, that my words would be your words, that all that we do, say and think, would honor you, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we've titled the series Imitation Generosity because we want to get at the fakes. We want to get at to the true picture of generosity. So to start with, I'd like to give us a good working definition of generous, and it would be showing a readiness to give more of something as money or time or attention, you could place what you want there, than is strictly necessary or expected. It's not just doing the bare minimum, it's not just doing what people expect you to do, but going above and beyond, not just going above and beyond, but being ready to respond. It's a, a it's a mindset, it's a heart set that actually looks for opportunities to go above and beyond. It's a great definition. It's what we see here in our text. Someone going above and beyond. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll be in the first 10 verses you heard JT read, uh, read a little earlier. And we see Jesus and his disciples are traveling throughout the land. This is the last part of his ministry. This is near, nearing the end of three years. It says he's traveling through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem, to the Passover, his last Passover on earth. And he's going to give his life. And so he's passing through Jericho on his way there, as we read. And as he passes through, we, news reaches the town as it would reach the town because this famous rabbi who's been healing the sick, the blind, the lame, is coming to Jericho. And word would spread and his, his popularity would spread 
as he started approaching towns. Remember Forrest Gump when he ran across the country, right? And people just came out and started running with Forrest. People were out running with Jesus long before Forrest Gump ever existed. And they were following him all over the land because he was doing things that possibly the Messiah would do. That he was possibly the long-awaited, foretold Messiah of the Jewish people. And people were hopeful and they were watching him do things that nobody had done. And so when he would hit a town, news broke. And news hit Jericho because right before he goes to Jericho, he does this. He raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. Now that caught a lot of people's attention all the way to Jerusalem. Because when he did that, the people in Jerusalem said, well, he's got to die. We can't have this going on on our watch. But the people were amazed. And more and more people were turning out. And when he came to Jericho, the streets would have been lined with people. Whenever a a famous rabbi, especially one like this, would come, everybody turned out. And they would line the streets, and they would welcome him, and they would cheer him. They would encourage him to stop and stay with them, to stay in their city, to bless their city, to spend time there. And they would prepare a banquet for him. And probably it would be held in in the home of the most prestigious person, the most righteous person in the community. It would be in their home, and they would welcome him, and they would encourage him to stay. They would have a place for him to sleep and to lay his head and a place to eat just so that he could be there and they could experience this great rabbi, this descendant of David. That's the scene of Jesus coming into Jericho. The streets are lined with people. And we're told that there's this man, Zacchaeus, this man who desires to see Jesus, but because he's short... Remember, he's a a wee little man. He can't see. And so he kind of figures out where Jesus is headed, and he runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up into this tree so that he can get a glimpse of Jesus. It doesn't tell us why. But you can sort of maybe read between the lines as to what happens later, but you can sort of get an idea that maybe Zacchaeus has a need that, that you don't see right away and that everybody else doesn't see. But Zacchaeus has this feeling, this thing within him, that he believes that maybe Jesus is the answer to this. And if he could just get a glimpse of him, that maybe he could get some answers. And so he runs ahead, he climbs up into this tree, and we're told that as the crowds were gathering, he was short in stature, so he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree just to see Jesus. Kind of a crazy thing to do, especially for a man like Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. You know, Jesus had friends that were tax collectors. Matthew, one of his disciples, is a tax collector. But Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's one step ahead. He's a a man of prestige in this community. We'll find a little bit more about him in a minute, but he would have been a really strange thing to see Zacchaeus up a tree. But as he's coming through the town, Jesus is, he comes to this tree, and he looks up, and what does he see? He sees Zacchaeus. And he does a surprising thing to all the people in the town. He looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. Now, that's got to be the last thing Zacchaeus expected to happen. I mean, you think about it. You're going to see somebody popular today. Pick your your favorite artist. Pick your favorite sports personality. Pick them. 
and you go, and there's crowds of people gathered around, and you've got your hands out like this, right? And, and you're going, Bill, or, or, or Joe, or, or Beyonce! I'm here, like, right, you're doing this, and, and, and they're going through the crowd, and they're not even looking at you, right? They're just touching, you just touch my hand, and you're like this, and they touch you, and they go on by. They don't even look at you. That's what it was like in this crowd. Nobody expected anything, especially you're not going to stop and talk to Zacchaeus. But what does he do? He stops and he looks up in the tree and he's like, Zacchaeus, it's like, you need to come down. Hurry, come down. I'm going to come to your house today. And I have to tell you, this would have like shocked everybody. Everybody would have been just flabbergasted that he would have stopped. Not only this famous rabbi actually stops and talks to somebody, but he stops and he talks to Zacchaeus. And we read that Zacchaeus comes down and he's like ecstatic. He's like, he's coming to my house. And we're told that he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus is like full of joy. What the heck is going on here? Zacchaeus is ecstatic that Jesus, this rabbi, this righteous man, would call him by name. Not only call him by name, but go to his house. See, the context here is that, again, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Tax collectors in the Jewish community, they were despised because they were Jewish men that were working for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes on the Jewish people that the Roman Empire had levied on the Jewish people. Rather than bring them to Rome and make them slaves, they just taxed them. And they taxed them heavy. And men like Matthew, who were one of Jesus' disciples, would have been tasked with collecting that tax. But then there's guys like Zacchaeus who are chief tax collectors, who are the guys that run all the other tax collectors. See, he would have bought that position from Rome. Rome would have said, Zacchaeus, this is what we need from Jericho. As long as you pay that, you could collect whatever else you want. And we're told that he did because he, we're told that he was wealthy, he was rich. But not only that, he was in a town called Jericho that was really a hub for finance, and he would levy taxes on every bit of goods and services that came through Jericho. And all of the roads, he would assign tolls, and he could do whatever he wanted. In fact, he probably had like informants that could tell him where somebody was hiding their sheep as not to be taxed, or where they were hiding their, their cattle so they wouldn't be taxed, and where they were hiding their goods. And when he'd find out about it, he'd probably go to them and said, you know, I know about those 80 sheep you're keeping up in the mountain that you don't think anybody knows about. And they probably said, well, what can we do? Can we work on an arrangement? I, I don't want to pay Rome any more tax. And he's like, well, maybe if you just siphoned a couple of those off for me, then maybe Rome doesn't have to hear about that. He wasn't a nice man. When you think of Zacchaeus, don't think of Simon Birch. Think of like Don Corleone. Because he would have been a very powerful man. See, Rome would have sent a Roman guard to be with him. They would have given him Roman soldiers, a garrison to protect him and to actually do his bidding, to go out and collect the taxes that people would resist. So it was not a good thing to cross Zacchaeus. The only thing Zacchaeus lacked was height. He had all the power and all the money that you would want in this era. And he was a powerful, evil guy. That's the guy that was up the tree. And that's the guy Jesus stops and talks to. 
And when Jesus calls his name Zacchaeus, it's probably the first time he heard another Jew call him by his name. I'm sure they called him a lot of other things, but Zacchaeus probably wasn't one of them, or it was Zacchaeus the whatever. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, looks at him, says, come down. I'm gonna come to your house. Now remember, that feast would have been held at the most righteous person's house. It would have been held at the, the most prestigious house and would have all been set and ready. Not everybody was happy that day, right? Because we read as we go on that as he did that, it says all the people saw this and began to mutter. He was going to the house of a sinner. Everybody's like, what is he doing? This is post, supposedly the Messiah. What's he doing going to a sinner's house? They start questioning, could he be the Messiah? He can't be the Messiah, can he? Messiah wouldn't be going to a sinner's house, not, especially not Zacchaeus' house. So everybody is muttering and murmuring. And when it says everybody, it's the only place in the text where you see when Jesus shows up, it says the Pharisees or the teachers of the law or these people. Here it says everyone was muttering and murmuring. Everyone was wondering, what in the heck is Jesus doing? But he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And he goes in, and we're told that Zacchaeus welcomes him in. But then probably after a while, Zacchaeus stood up and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Must have been a heck of a conversation. Right? Because here is this evil, deceitful man who's been cast out of the Jewish community. And Jesus spends a little bit of time with him. Doesn't say what he said. But you kind of get the picture of the kindness that Jesus offers Zacchaeus, a kindness and a love that he probably hadn't experienced a long, long time. To have this famous rabbi, this descendant of David in his home, talking to him, giving him his full attention, it, it had to have been a remarkable scene for this man, who probably thought of himself far outside of God's grace. Maybe that's what Zacchaeus was looking for, or answers. And he found it in the person of Jesus. He found a love in Jesus' eyes that, like I said, just probably undid him. And as a result, we see Zacchaeus repenting. Zacchaeus saying, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've, if I've cheated anybody, which we know he did, he said, I'm going to pay him back four times. And that wasn't just an arbitrary number. That four times is prescribed by the law. The law says if you do what Zacchaeus did, you need to pay your neighbor back four times what you took from them. And so here Zacchaeus is repenting and doing exactly what the law required so that Zacchaeus could be declared righteous by the law. That's what Jesus did for him. Jesus came and completely redid his life. And as a result, Zacchaeus is giving money away. And people had to just like look at him like, like what the heck happened to you? What did he say to you? And I'm sure Zacchaeus from that point on was eager to tell people about Jesus and what Jesus said and about what Jesus did for him, a tax collector, a chief tax collector. But see, we see this happen all throughout Jesus' ministry. We see that Jesus loved to hang around with people like Zacchaeus. 
He hung around with the blind and the sick and the Samaritans. He hung around with the outcast, the people who were seeking, the people who had been put off, the people who thought they weren't good enough. Jesus sought after them, the people that thought they were good enough, the people who considered themselves righteous. Jesus didn't have much time for. But it says at the end of this text, he says, but he came to seek and save the lost. Those who are humble at heart, not prideful, not doing their good works so that everybody else sees, but humble, realizing there's something missing. There's something that I'm not, I'm not getting. And Zacchaeus is telling us that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. The true, the true picture of generosity in this story is not Zacchaeus, but Jesus. Because Jesus came and gave his life as a ransom, not just for Zacchaeus, not just for those people who repented, but he gave his life as a ransom for everyone. Even the people that were mocking him at the cross, the people that were mocking Zacchaeus, the people who turned around and yelled on that Friday afternoon, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a generous God we have. You're like Zacchaeus this morning and, and you find yourself out on that limb just trying to get a glimpse, maybe not considering yourself worthy or good enough. Zacchaeus has a story for you that Jesus is good enough. Jesus came so that you could experience true generosity so that you could come and, and then share that story with others. But you gotta come down out of the tree. You gotta come down and spend some time with Jesus and just see what he does to your heart. And just see how he loosens up your grip on your life, your stuff, your time, your attention, your hospitality, and yeah, your finances. Jesus came to give you a new life, a Jesus life a true generous life that only he can give. And he did that by coming in and giving his perfect life for your imperfect life, for my imperfect life. But he didn't stop there. He said, unless I go to my father, then the counselor will not come, the spirit will not come, and he needs to come because you need more. You need the Holy Spirit the long-ago promised Holy Spirit that the prophet Ezekiel said would come. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of the New Testament, we see Jesus doing this beautiful exchange. Your sin for his righteousness your heart of stone for his heart of flesh, your unrighteousness for his righteousness. Jesus gladly takes on your sin so that you can take on his life, that he so desperately wants each of you to live and to experience what it is to live as Jesus. Ready, ready to do beyond what is expected ready 
to be generous people with our lives, not just with one part of our life, but with our entire life. That's the model of Jesus. That's the life of a truly generous God who continues to give, who continues to give. He gives us each and every week in our Lord's Supper where he comes to us in bread and wine and he renews our faith in that bread and wine and we receive forgiveness again. This morning there's a baptism weekend and we again will see God working through the waters of baptism as he promised long ago he would to create new life, to create generous lives so the world could see what generosity truly looks like. It looks like Jesus. And he wants people to see that in each of you. So I want to encourage you for these four weeks, come back and let's take this journey of this generous life. And I know it's scary and I know it's hard, but we're going to see as we see throughout this series that it happens step by step. And sometimes it happens all at once, but you look back after 10, 20, 30 years and you just don't recognize that person anymore because he's changed you. And so this morning, as we conclude the message, I want to encourage you, if you would, would you guys stand? I'm going to lead you through this prayer.